Hurling in the Shadow of the Rockies. The podcast engaging community through intimate stories of the individual, fostering their culture through hurling in the West. This is Bob O'Boyle. Thank you for listening, and welcome to part one of the end of season one. Welcome back. We've had a little delay as we are getting ready for a whole new season and a whole new revamp of the podcast. We'll get into more of that later. This is part one of my interview with Tanner Scholey. Tanner's a really great guy, and we could not think of a better person to end season one with. Tanner is a Montana boy, born and raised in Butte, America. He was on the very first hurling team in Missoula, Montana, and since his graduation, he has coached the University of Montana Grizzlies hurling team. In this interview, we talk about a wide range of things, from growing up in Butte, learning about hurling, winning four national titles, and the growth of the hurling program at the University of Montana in Missoula and Montana in general. This is a special interview in many ways, not only because of his singular history with the Grizzly hurling team, but because of Tanner's personal story as well. This past week, Tanner underwent surgery for cancer. He has been receiving treatment since this summer, and we talk about the role hurling and the hurling community has played in this journey. Make sure and listen to part two of the interview as well, where we continue the conversation. And so with that, here's Tanner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tanner Scholey uh, was born in Bozeman, Montana, uh, but grew up in Butte uh, for most of my life. Um, yeah, born in 95, so. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, so your family... Were, you, were they living in Bozeman, going to school or something? Yeah, so both my parents went to MSU uh, for college. Uh, my dad's uh, originally from Butte, the whole Sholey clan. Um, and my mom's actually from Wyoming. Um, and she went up there and they met in school, got married there. And then uh, my dad spent a lot of time managing at Walmart. And so that's where we were at the time. Uh, and so that's where I was born. But then... Um, within that first year, we had moved up to Kalispell. We actually lived here in Missoula for uh, another short spurt, then ended up back in Bozeman until I was about, I think, five or six. And then we ended up in Butte, and that's where we had been until I moved here for school. So, yeah, it's a little little taste of everything there in the first yeah. couple of years. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So where did you where did you go to school in Butte? I was actually homeschooled all the way through, um, all the way up through high school. Um, uh, my mom uh, got her degree in education, um, and with us moving around a bit early on, I think she just really wanted to uh, take that education into her own hands, and um, the religion was always, you know, growing up Catholic, that was really important to her, and she wanted to make sure that 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 was being taught correctly, um, and so that's, yeah, I did school all the way through, and uh, my other siblings, um, the next oldest, Caden, was also homeschooled all the way through. And then the other three have ended up going to Central um, Elementary, Junior High, and High School now. So uh, now that both my parents are working, they're kind of having to do that. So get a little flavor of, of, of both sides of the school equation there. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. So what did you do gr- growing up, I mean, from... from- five or six or, or yeah. when you were there. Where did you where did you just live in Butte? Where was that? Um, so for a while we lived down in the Legion Oasis apartments. Uh, we lived in a couple of those. 
um, kind of down by the golf course, Silverbow Pizza, yeah. that kind of area. Um, so that was the early part of, of growing up in Butte for a couple of years until uh, my parents bought a house up Kitty Corner to St. James Hospital. Oh. Um, and that's where we lived and they're still there now. That's where the house is. And so kind of grew up both on the flats and, but mostly up on the hill. So, <laughs> excellent. yeah, excellent. Tell me, tell me about, um, some of the other things you did growing up. What yeah. were some of the activities? Um, so I was on the swim team, the, the Butte Tarpon swim team for a couple of years until I was about 11 or so. Um, I did that. I played soccer from... The time I was 12 all the way up through graduating, um, that was a, a big part of, of growing up was soccer. Um, and then just all sorts of skiing and, and hunting, which of course was a lot more doable with being homeschooled. You know, you'd go hit the slopes for eight hours <laughs> uh, any given day of the week. So that was a huge part of growing up. And, and then just hanging around Butte, we had a really solid group of friends through the youth group I went to, um, most of whom were also homeschooled, um, but then a few others who went to Butte High. Um, and yeah, there was probably about 10 or so of us and we hung out all the time. And yeah, road trips to concerts and and hikes and, and just hanging out, movie nights, all sorts of things. So there's not too much to do in Butte, but, you know, we managed to keep ourselves entertained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I spend a lot of time doing similar things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where would you just go hunting? Um, uh, a lot of times um, I ended up hunting with my uncle or my cousins um, in Buxton. We had, my uncle had a little bit of land um, just outside of Buxton up on the hill, and so kind of exploring back there in Fleecer Mountain. Um, and then as we got older, my buddies and I um, like to go hunt uh, in between Whitehall and Boulder, kind of just along that little stretch of, of road. And and we've that's where we've kind of found the little sweet spot that we like to go at least once a year. So <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Excellent. And, and deer and elk? Yeah, yeah. I I still have yet to snag an elk, um, but lots of deer. I got to do an antelope hunt one year, and I think that's probably my favorite hunt. Um, yeah, that was, we got to uh, uh, sneak, we spotted these antelope, probably about six of them, about 400 or so yards off the road. And so my cousin-in-law and I uh, stomach crawled all the way up to within about probably 50 yards of them through the grass finally got up to them and and just had to jump up and shoot within a second of putting my eye to the scope and end up snagging a, a nice little buck so it was yeah that's probably my favorite hunt it was that antelope one and since moving here for school i've decided that elk are way too much work uh for what <laughs> i have time for <laughs> so it's been a little while since we've tried to chase them 15 miles back into the boonies but yeah. <laughs> hopefully one of these days get back into some elk hunting so <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh it's a good spot there but uh it definitely everybody knows about fleece mountain so <laughs> yeah it's pretty tricky yeah 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 sometimes that kicks them around Oh yeah, yeah. You just kind of you spend a lot of time just kind of wait and see what other people are pushing them around, and yeah, uh, there was a there was a while. It was kind of right before my time. 
um, the the Sholey clan, all of my cousins and uncles and second cousins and, and kind of whole extended family used to have a big camping week where they'd set up camp and, and all the tents and four wheelers and, yeah. and yeah, just chase them all over the mountain. But so I didn't quite get to experience that, but I've heard plenty of stories for sure, yeah. <laughs> for sure. On that, it, 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 they, there's a little campground by that, uh, as you go up to, Big hole. Oh, uh huh. Right there, is that where they would stay? I'm. I think it was a little further back. It's kind of more along. So if you're if you're coming up the big hole and through divide and stuff, and then uh, you turn off like you're going towards. Um, I think it's Jerry Creek, and kind of come along the back way. You end up coming out by Anaconda. I think it was more kind of back in there, but nice. yeah, kind of hidden away a little bit. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So tell me, tell me a little bit about. Because one of the things Butte's, of course, well known for is um, not just the Irish, but the, the ethnic communities mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And the, and the, the pride in all those different uh, ethnic communities and stuff. And, and uh, so tell me a little bit about how that shaped you mm-hmm. as, a, as a young man. Yeah, I, I think it was just... Um... I mean, I think that that mix of all those ethnicities, especially especially the Irish and especially the Italian, I think are probably two of the the most prominent ones um, that and then that mixture along with some other um, cultures in there, I think just made Butte such a unique place to grow up. I mean, there's just such a pride in being from Butte and um and growing up there and having family there. And um, uh, I think a lot of that is based in Butte's history with being such a prominent city for so long with the mining and the, and the success that they had for so long that that is still deeply rooted in everybody who grows up in Butte, even though now that there's, you know, barely 30,000 people there and, and uh, you never know what businesses are coming and going. There's still just that sense of, of like, we're the best. <laughs> we're on top. And uh, I think that was huge in, in playing sports and um, and just growing up there. And um, yeah, I think just that mix of all of those just strong cultures. I mean, you, you know, people are proud to be Irish, proud to be Italian um, and, and Finnish and, and whatever other ones you've got rolling around through those streets. And um, yeah, I think that pride really just helped, you know, uh, cultivate as, as we grew up and getting a sense of like self-confidence and just pride in, in who you are and where you come from. And, and so I think that really helped just shape, uh, into, uh, the culture of, of what our hurling teams ended up being. Uh, you had the, you know, a couple of us from Butte and, and Whitehall and Great Falls and, and when that got coupled into this this Irish hurling team, and it was like we are the best, we want to be the best, and it was that just kind of naturally flowed in from <laughs> yeah. from how we grew up. So, <laughs> well, and, that, and that's that's kind of what I was gonna gonna take into it with with that. Um, let Let's talk about how you because you have kind of a unique history with the mm-hmm. hurling team, especially now because. You have such a, yeah. a tenure with the team. Mm-hmm. Really, how did you 
how did you hear about hurling and, and get involved? Yeah, so um, so growing up, the youth group I went to, we had a game called Crumpets. And you would take these those fat plastic bats, um, buy a whole bunch of those, and then like one of those like um, uh, rubber balls just filled with air really light. And you weren't allowed to kick the ball. You weren't allowed to hit the ball with your hand. You could only strike the ball with the bat and you just tried to score a goal and that's what we played like every other week growing up and uh, so I lived in the Alpha Omega house my freshman year just a block off campus it's kind of a Christian co-ed house and uh, uh, Morgan lived there as well and I was telling him about crumpets and he came back from class one day and he he was taking Irish from Nisha and he comes into my room and he just goes, dude, I found crumpets for real. And he showed me hurling videos and was like, my teacher is starting a team and we're going to start having practices and stuff. And it was just like, well, yeah, I got to play this game. <laughs> I've been training my whole life for this. <laughs> and so I went, I, I wasn't at the very first practice, but I made the second one and was just sold immediately. Um, I mean... I, like I said, I grew up playing soccer, so I, I was kind of already thinking about if I was going to play intramurals or go try and play other sports or whatever um, and, and fill that, you know, void from moving here from Butte. And, uh, and so, yeah, hurling just fit in right at that perfect time and, and just sold me from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, t talk a little bit about that first year because it mm -hmm. really was kind of a a magical deal. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I've told the story so many times. I, I've written several, some, several of my college essays were about that first year of hurling because it really was just, uh, it's something that really just can't be replicated. Um, to have such a unique mix of, of backgrounds in our team and the combination of Nisha and Brian's coaching um, and passion for the game that really sold us on the passion for the game. Um, I remember after the first week or so of having these practices where we only had four hurls that Nisha and Brian had brought over, um, no helmets, a couple of slitters, and there were like 12 of us um, at these practices. And you'd have to do drills where you know, somebody run out, roll lift the ball, take a couple steps, come back, drop the slitter, give the hurl to the next person, and then they go. <laughs> and, you know, and all of our games were were solely hand passing because nobody had any helmets, nobody had any hurls. Um, and after a week or so of that, uh, Nisha brought us in uh, at the end of a practice and, and told us, uh, I found out. Uh, collegiate nationals is in may and it's in new york and we're gonna go and we're gonna win and it was just like yeah sold <laughs> like no doubt no no like oh i don't know it's a whole bunch of uh, we don't even know how to play the game yet right. and but we knew from then that that was the goal was to go to new york in may and win national championship and so from that point, every practice, every game, every tournament was uh, like an objective on the road to nationals. And so, and then the team, 
you know, we had that first month or so that kind of first fall semester actually of, you know, people coming in, checking it out, maybe staying around for a little while and then going. And, and as the team kind of slowly solidified into the 15 or 16 players that ended up going to nationals, uh, I mean, that team was probably the closest, like most bound team that we've had over the seven years that we've had, just because um, we weren't quite big enough yet to where you, know, you had people who knew certain players and not others and kind of those little cliques that form just naturally. And we were all on the same level, uh, except for Nisha and Brian. Nobody had played before. And I guess Bomber had a little bit of experience from from growing up and, and being in, uh, involved in, in Irish culture. But otherwise, we were all equal. Um, obviously, different levels of athleticism and experience in sports, but... Yeah, we were all learning the game at the same pace. We're all going to the same practices, learning the same skills. And uh, and I think that really just helped uh, kind of bind us all together. And then we'd go on these road trips to tournaments out on the North, uh, Northwest Coast and play these clubs. And, and it was do or die every single game. And I remember I tell people now it's, it's funny because, you know, we had these games where we'd be, we'd be winning by like, 20 plus points but it never felt that we were dominating in in the middle of the game it was I remember playing as a fullback if somebody scored a point or a goal and it was my guy who was marking even if that was the first goal they scored in the game and we were up by 30 it was like we're gonna lose <laughs> like, that was it that was that was the, that was the goal that cost us the game and then afterwards it'd be like oh like there was no pressure at all that whole time, but um, we just all had that fire and that mentality, and and I think that was just spurred on by Nisha's passion for the game um, mostly, and and we just all fed off of that that whole year. So yeah, that year was magical is definitely the the best word for it because yeah, it it has not been. I don't think it ever will be replicated, not even by other teams, just because. It just all the stars aligned perfectly for that year, so it was a great yeah. start. <laughs> was, this a, was, the, was the first tournament you guys went to? It wasn't the Buffalo Cup. No, um, we did. We went to a friendly tournament um, in Albany in the fall. Um, I think after only like a month of playing, um, so you know we all just went and and we were told to just wear a Grizz maroon T-shirt. Um, and, uh, and yeah, but we played, we played the teams from the Northwest and we actually ended and we were all playing in, we didn't even know what the positions were. We were just kind of on the field, uh, watching it unfold. And, um, we actually ended up going, uh, three for four that, that first tournament, mostly, almost entirely just because of Nisha and Brian. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, that was that was such an incredible experience and, and to kind of see how the game actually worked. And, um, and that's what we tell people even to this day is, is you have to, you have to get that first game in because we can practice and we can even play games at practice, but until you actually go, you're wearing the Jersey, you're part of the team, you're playing against people you don't know. Like you, you won't really understand how the game works until that point. Um, 
And so, and I think that's what really just sold everybody. Can it was so exciting and and to actually get like such a huge amount of victory out of out of almost nothing and uh and it was like oh we really kind of have something here and and then to watch like some of the skills that we haven't seen yet you know like Nisha taking sidelines and and Nisha and Brian doing freeze and scoring points and puck outs and like to just watch the ball f- soar 80 yards or something through the air and people shouldering each other and it was just like, oh man, this is something else. <laughs> like you, you just don't get this in any other sport you can play. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was fun. That was actually the the last game we played against Red Branch was the game I scored my first ever goal. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that first tournament. Uh, yeah. So and I mean that was kind of the thing about that first year is, um, I mean every single. Every single tournament, every single game, just because it's the first, has these memories attached to it. And, uh, you know, the first time we played against certain teams, like first time we played against Seattle or the first time we won a tournament in the Buffalo Cup or the first time we hosted a tournament, like all those firsts and to be able to experience those is definitely something I really hold on to. So, (laughs) Yeah, because with that first year, what did... Talk a little bit about the how, because you talked about you know initially just the four girls, and mm-hmm. the, you know a couple. So there's how did that grow? I, I mean I know I know a little bit about that, but yeah, tell that story. Yeah, um, it was really just uh, it was amazing to kind of just see who who came out of the woodwork to to support the team. Um, we got all of our first rounds of gear because of a turbo. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. He came out and, um, I don't, I don't exactly know how he came to hear about our team or I, I know the first time I met Turbo was we were just pucking around on the oval. Um, and, and he came and was talking to Brian and Nisha and, and he was just like, well, what do you need? And we'll get it. And, and then, of course, the, the support of the, the Irish program and the Friends of Irish Studies that first year and helping us get jerseys and, and gear and find the practice space and things like that and to, to fundraise to be able to travel. And, um, and we did a lot of, uh, of bingo nights at Sean Kelly's before it became the Thomas Marbar. Um, and that, that was a huge source of uh, even just more team building because I'm pretty sure most of the nights... The people that were there giving us money were just us. But <laughs> that's usually how so these funded. that's usually how these things end up working. Um, but uh, you know, and that was just a good time. And uh, Nisha and Brian just having a good time with the microphone. I mean, that was probably the most dangerous thing we ever did was give those two guys a mic. <laughs> um, uh, and she, yeah, 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 and. Um, and then, yeah, as, as different people got more involved and, and we kind of got our, our core team founded and, and then, yeah, we'd have team meetings and we met a lot in Turbo's uh, basement, which is the coolest basement. It's like a replica Irish pub down there. And, and um, so, yeah, so once we got kind of that, that support kind of slowly came in and built around us. And then, of course, the... Uh, the lads from Wolf Creek, uh, Paul and Tom coming around with the, 
with the St. Patrick's Trophy and leading the the Montana football cheers at our hurling game. Like, yeah, that really just helped kind of solidify. And as that community built and and it was like, okay, this this team is going to last because there are people ingrained in our community who want it to last. And we'll make sure that we ultimately have what we need to to succeed. So, <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, that first year... That that journey to New York had mm-hmm. to be huge. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, for a lot of us, that's the first time we've ever been to New York. Um, and I mean, traveling for a a national tournament, um, I mean, is something that that most people probably don't even think about doing, um, um, especially at like a club level sport or whatever. You you just don't. And growing up somewhere like in Montana, where it's like how often do any of our teams compete at a national level anywhere? <laughs> like growing up in Butte and we'd, we'd have that every once in a while, one of our soccer teams would travel to like the West coast for a tournament and just get slaughtered because it's, you know, we have the worst weather we have. It's never nice. And if it is, then it's smoky and you just don't have the time to to practice outdoors like these other schools do. You don't have the money, the funding, and so to to go out, fly to New York, and represent the school to represent Montana um, at a national level, and especially to to bring back a cup was just like unreal. You just don't even think about doing that because <laughs> there was how many about 14 15 yeah I think it was I think it was 15 just about because yeah we played 11s and had about four subs I'm pretty sure so yeah 15 of us and and of course you you don't realize it until you're 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 trying to do it yourself but um you know buying plane tickets and of course trying to do stuff through all our money is kept through our ASUM account so you got to figure out how to like you can't just pull money out of that account obviously and so you got to figure out a time to go to the campus and make sure that your flight lines up with all these other people's flights and then okay who's who's on which flight and who's bringing the gear and because of course you can't just walk around airports with hurdles for whatever reason (laughs) and uh and that kind of thing and then we all you know we all made it and and then, yeah, just experiencing that tournament, all of us for the first time was was so cool. Um, and even to just be there. And I think if even if we didn't win a single game, it still would have been, you know, just an unbelievable experience. <laughs> yeah. But you did. Yeah. You won her all. Man, yeah. And uh, there were a couple games where it was like, all right, I think our, you know, kind of inexperience is, is starting. But then after... 10 or so minutes of a first half and then it was like okay nope like we're back in it and we're focused and you know kind of breaking through the shell shock and the nerves and um yeah seeing all these teams and and the big name schools like UConn and Cal Berkeley and and Pitt who are who were there that year and who we've seen every single year since um and, and just kind of watching how all these other teams are put together. And, um, I mean, our, our biggest advantage was clearly having Nisha and Brian, not only just player-wise, but um, you could tell that our team overall just had such an, 
like an understanding of the game because of how well they were able to communicate that to us and how hard we worked. I mean, practicing like four times a week leading up to nationals and um, whereas other teams we'd be talking to and they'd practice maybe once or twice a week and you know they they've never had an Irish coach just people who were familiar with the game and wanted to learn it and so it was it was really an eye-opener just to uh, what what we had and it was like oh we've got we've got something special that almost nobody else has and so um, and then yeah to go completely undefeated all two days I mean we played eight hurling games in two days and I, I don't know how because now playing two hurling games in a day <laughs> is almost the limit but uh yeah and and we played through we we lost a few like Lane ended up getting super sick and so she had to drop out like after the first day so we lost a player and uh and kind of figuring out the nerves of if we got put in a tough situation, you know, who, where do we put players in certain positions? How do we move people around? And, um, but it ended up, uh, yeah, came out on top and man, that after party was, uh, <laughs> was something else. <laughs> and yeah, I mean that we, I think we rode that high all the way to the, the next year in hosting nationals in Missoula. And we were still just on that, like, we won nationals last year and we're just going to keep going and keep riding that wave as long as we can. So, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and, and it was interesting going into that second year Yeah, because you guys had that confidence. Like mm-hmm. you talked about, I mean, yep. it might've originated at the, at the, uh, yeah. the first couple the first month anyways, but you guys really grew into that. Confidence. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we just knew that, that we worked harder than anybody else. And, um, and that continued on into the next year. And, and the next year was amazing because we doubled in size. Uh, we had 30 players dressed out in Grizz uniforms at nationals that second year. Um, so, I mean, we had full sized matches almost every training because we were having, yeah, and, and not even just 11-on-11. 11 11. We were playing, I think the most we played was a 16-on-16 hurling match at a, at a practice. Because, I mean, that, that hype and the, the, just the excitement behind it all was just so strong in those of us from the first year that, I mean, pretty much everybody brought another person to practice that, that next year. And, um, and that, that excitement just really built into all those players. They all bought into the confidence and we got to go down to California in the fall and play against Berkeley and Stanford and get a lot of those new players, their first experience. And it was like, Oh yeah, this is really good. (laughs) Um, And that really built into a lot of us returning from the first year because having that many players meant that um, your, your position on the field was not, yours it it could be anybody's whoever put in the work and that meant not only going to every training but training every day by yourself with a couple other people um and so the the bar was just raised so high um after that and um and i mean and some of the players that joined that second year i mean are some of our best players we've ever had like eric hobbins and jeremy fisher and dylan 
um, you know, and, and several others. And so the pressure was on for, for the rest of us to be like, all right, we, yeah, we've got a year under our belts, but it's only a year. And we got, uh, we've now seen, you know, after watching like Nisha and Brian for a year and seeing some other players like Killian, um, over in Portland and, was like okay now that we kind of have the basics under our belt it's time to elevate and get that weak side strike and and work on blocking and hooking kind of those like finer skills that that come along later well how did it, it one of the things that you guys had that i thought was really amazing was and, and you alluded to this earlier, you had some tremendous athletes. Oh, man. Some really special athletes. Yeah, people. especially that first year. I mean, Caleb, Sean, Michael, those three are just unreal humans. <laughs> like, especially um, Sean and Michael that first year in, our, in the midfield were just ridiculous. I mean, they were everywhere. They never got tired, like... They played. They played from end to end um, every game. Um, I remember um, Mike Leibel broke six cool texts in over the weekend in New York, and they're supposed to be unbreakable. <laughs> I mean, he was. He, those two blocked and hooked and competed so hard that. Yeah, it was just amazing. And then the next year, I mean, we added even more people, and you, you start getting people like Dylan, and and now we've got players like Derek, and and some of these guys, and Devin, who who just are just ridiculous, and they pick it up so quick because they just have this background and this kind of just innate athleticism that you know you you give them the hurl and you just give them the slitter and they're already pucking it 40 yards and, and hitting both sides. And you're just like, it's not even fair. <laughs> like, not fair how much work I have to put into this, uh, to get to the same place you're at. Um, but I think what, what really helped with that was it, it kind of set, set a standard and, and it, it kind of goes both ways. Cause one thing I really love about hurling and I tell people about is that it is really any man's game or any, any person's game. Um, there, there is a spot on the field for tall, small, thin, big, slow, fast. We, we can find a position for you to play and we can find a play style for you. Um, no matter your background. Um, and so in that way, I, I love hurling, but at the same time, the way that we've kind of had this from the beginning, kind of this level of like elite athletes on our team that kind of helps set a standard for like you can come in with no athletic background that's fine but you you're gonna have to put in the work if you want to compete and and stick around and keep up um and so that drive just kind of helps get the rest of us who aren't as innately athletic to just keep like, all right, if, if I want to keep playing and keep improving, I've got to, I've got to run as fast as he, I've got to run as hard as these guys. I've got to work as hard as these guys. Um, and you know, you, that little bit of accountability and, and guilt when it's like, all right, who's been in the, who's been in the gym this week? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, be in the confessional. 
forgive me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I remember, like, uh, Caleb and Misha going, oh, we're going to go to the to the gym after practice. Oh, yeah. Or before or, yeah, yeah. And and that really fed into to all of us. I remember um, that second year, especially because with the pressure of some of these other players coming in who were very defensive minded, like Jeremy and Eric, um, it was like, I, I knew that if I wanted to keep my status as our like starting fullback cornerstone of our defense, um, yeah, I spent at least you know, an hour a day, either in the racquetball courts or on the field, just even by myself, just, just getting reps in, just constantly improving the strike and improving the, the weak side and soloing and lifting and, and all those things. It was like that, yeah, this isn't promised anymore. (laughs) I don't get to just start because we only have 11 players. (laughs) Well, and, and, and to that, you know, one of the things you, you alluded to, about, you know, growing up in Butte, it was tough because you had these bad winters. You have these yeah. cold winters and stuff. It's hard to get out. Yep. You can't always get to Dornblazer Field now with hurling. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that wintertime training regimen. Yeah, it's, um, it is not our favorite. I don't think anybody really actually enjoys indoor hurling. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Um, it's definitely one of the areas that I think is most important. And we found that you really improve as a player, um, when we go indoors because with limited space and being on the hardwood, you know, there, there's only so many things you can work on. And so you really get to just dial in on form and, and the, the technical side of hurling, um, and so we spend a lot of our first year, um, we actually practiced in the racquetball courts and we just divide up three people, four people to a court and just get reps off the wall and using tennis balls or, um, or the, the harder, uh, wall slitters and, uh, and just really getting those in and, and just finding the time every day to, to go into that, that little court and, play some music and, and just get the reps. And I found that I really liked going in and, and working on, of course, since the racquetball court kind of has the staggered wall tiles and you just climb the ladder and then climb it back down and then switch sides and climb it back up and climb it until you could just pick a box and hit it and for sure hit it every single time. And, and just working on those kind of things. And then we've started, uh, the second year we got, way too big for being in the racquetball courts. And I think as we all got better, it got to where you couldn't even have two people in a racquetball court because people are actually swinging and hitting and, and it's not just kind of flailing these rubber uh, hurls around. So we moved into Schreiber gym and then you play a lot more, you know, five on five kind of almost kind of basketball style hurling. Um, And it really changes a, a whole lot of it because of course, trying not to hurt each other by slamming each other into the wall or, or breaking ankles or anything like that. So you kind of step away from the physical side of hurling a little bit and really get into like the technical of blocking and hooking and, and reading plays and stuff. And, 
And so it, it really kind of changes our game a lot. And uh, like I said, it, the really long winters are, it's like last year, I think we spent like five months in Triber. And by the end of it, it's, you just don't even want to go. <laughs> just because it, there's only so much you can do in there and, and you kind of get, you start missing the, the big strike and getting to shoulder people and, and, uh, the slip and slide aspect of being on that gym floor. But, um, I, I think what we've, what we have used works well and, and kind of what we, what we were taught from Nisha and Pat and Donica from being indoors. And, uh, we've, we've learned how to optimize our time inside. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, it, cause it, it certainly hasn't hindered the, the competitive nature. Yeah. It seems like every year the Grizz are the team to beat. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've we've really made a name for ourselves, um, and and it shows. There, I mean, the couple of times that we have been beat at at collegiate nationals and regional tournaments, I mean, you just look at the reaction from those other teams. I mean, it's it's like they've won the whole the whole tournament just because they beat us in the first game or something. <laughs> and, uh, which I mean is, I think it's cool. It's a, it's a source of, of pride to kind of be able to, to be that team that, that has the target on its back. And every year, like that's the team to be even, even years where we know that we aren't the best team that we could be. The other teams still hold us just in that, it, we're in their scopes and and if they can beat us that is like a huge um a huge achievement and it's 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 awesome that we've been able to to achieve that and maintain that over the years <laughs> well and it's it's interesting because i i hear the echoes of that kind of buteness mm -hmm. the you know brendan mcdonough yeah brendan has a shirt that says butte versus everyone yep and and you know that kind of mentality that kind of we're in it uh-huh we're doing seems to really be reflected in the way that they're oh absolutely yeah i mean it's and it's one of those it, it, again it kind of has two sides to it because one of the one of the greatest things about hurling is the community that builds i mean the 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 friends that we've made in the Northwest through Seattle and Tacoma and Red Ranch, Willamette. I mean, those are the players that, that we know and, you know, you hang out with them in the pub afterwards and you enjoy seeing them at tournaments. Um, and it's the same collegiately. I mean, over the years, you know, you have those different players that we've played with in Yukon and Pitt and Berkeley. And there is like a camaraderie and a community that's built around that. But at the same time, it's also like, you're our rival, you're our rival, you're our rival. You're like, <laughs> we can be friends as long as you don't beat us. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's great that we've kind of, you, you get both sides of that. And there really is not, um, there really is not an animosity um, between teams, um, but we're still able to hold on to and, and kind of fuel that, competitive aspect to it one of the things that um, has also happened here that I think is really beautiful is as the, the history of the Grizz went on people graduated mm -hmm. and they said hey I'm, I'm not done playing yeah I want to keep going with hurling and, and you guys got the club team yep 
Yeah, and and that's been huge, and I think that's really it, it's actually something that has not been replicated very often in the other schools um, as years have gone on. There have been a couple years where we've had the like our AGM meeting at the end of nationals, and you'll hear from college teams who have no relationship with any of the adult teams in their areas. And if anything, there have been a couple times where there's almost even a, um, a negative relationship between the college teams and the club teams. Cause of course, um, uh, sometimes it ends up where the club teams just see it as like, well, why have a college team? You can just play for us. Like why have two teams? And so for us to be able to, to have an adult team that is like, a hundred percent dependent upon the Grizz. If there's no Grizz, there are no Mars because um, I think at the most we've ever had like 10 non-student Mars. And so it, it is vital to, to both teams that the other exists because of course on the flip side, one of the hardest things about the Grizz is every year it's a new team, it's new students, Maybe a student who was more involved one year has a much more difficult class load or got a job and now they aren't able to go to these meetings or make sure that we have jerseys or or whatever. And so to have that core of older adults who are just working, they, yeah, it's no problem for me to, to, to do any of this administrative stuff and have a board and do board meetings. Um, that really helps keep the Grizz afloat and make sure that the Grizz aren't dropping the ball or missing paperwork or things like that. And so having the Mars has been, has been incredibly useful. And, um, and yeah, as, as time goes on, the Mar team core just kind of slowly builds because of course, not all the Grizz who graduate stay here in Missoula, but the one or two do every year. And, they, they just get added to the fold. <laughs> and it's gotten to the point now where um, even though when we when we play our, our Mar v. Grizz matches, and most of the time they're just mixed teams anyway, um, there's still like that sense of I've had a couple players who when they graduate are like, I get to be a Mar. Like I'm officially a Mar now. And it's like, yeah, there, there's even a sense of pride in that. Even though the Mars, we've had our years in our tournaments where sometimes we'll blow a tournament out of the water and then other tournaments it's like do we even know how to play, how to play this game <laughs> i don't know but there, even then that that sense of pride in missoula hurling just carries on and continues to grow it so yeah yeah it's, it's been really really great to see mm -hmm. and and your role has continued to grow mm -hmm. because even though, like, I think about, like, especially like this last year, Donica mm -hmm. came and talking with Donica and talking with Pat and stuff, they talked about coming into a community, mm -hmm. not like when uh, Nisha or, or at the beginning when Brian was here, or, but, but really coming into a community yeah. where you guys have, have built mm -hmm. and maintained. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I I loved listening to um, Pat talk about how the difference between our hurling community and hurling in Chicago and how 
you know, um, when he went and played there, it, it ends up, you just play with all your friends. And so you don't really like get into the community very much. Cause it's, you're just, you move to Chicago with your buddies and you play hurling with your buddies and, and that's what you do. Whereas here you're kind of, you're isolated in this little, uh, you know, this Valley and there's nobody around. <laughs> and so it's, it's just what we have. And, but that even seeps again, the kind of that surrounding community of, you know, you meet all the regulars at Charlie B's and, and start going to football games and, and you're kind of forced to, to, to engage more. And then the, the fact that we've been able to maintain that community of hurling is just such a good center point. And this like really a, pretty much is before any of the Fulbrights even get to Missoula, one of the previous Fulbrights is already like, message this person when you get there, they'll tell you when stuff is, and they'll make sure you get right. And you know, it's already like, you are already invited to all. You know when the trainings are, you know when the practices are, and. You know, Jeremy's taking me out for beers, or <laughs> and that kind of thing, and and yeah, it's it's great being able to hear that from them. Thank you to Tanner and his lovely wife Lizzie for allowing me in their home where we recorded this and taking the time out of their busy schedule and spending the afternoon with me. Thanks again to the Blaggers for allowing us to use their music. Make sure and check them out. Check the show notes for more details. And make sure and check out part two of the conversation with Tanner. Slango foil. <laughs>